The scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is new, now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love of us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now this morning. Heavenly Father, we need you. Every hour we need you. Lord, as we just sang, there's nothing our God can't do. So, Lord, I pray this morning our hearts would be open to your word, that you would bring light into darkness. Lord, if there's any here that don't profess faith in you or watching online, may today be the day where you call them to follow. I pray, Lord, you'd use this jumbled mess of a message of a person to point to you. May your word show us truth. May it expose our rebellion. May it correct our mistakes. May it train us to live your way, Father. May we live into the righteousness that is ours in Christ. May we live out the works that you have prepared for us. In the saving, in the freeing, in the everlasting name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. My heart breaks from this last week. And my goal this morning is to, as we are continuing the series, to follow, but to point to the Old and the New Testament and what it means to follow. But I have to say, my heart breaks for our country. Yet even more, my heart breaks for those who are lost. My heart breaks for those who have falsely placed their hopes in a person, in a group, in all political parties, in institutions, in power, could never truly hold your hope. My heart breaks for the ripple effect that stems from this. My heart breaks for those who have lost sight of our true identity as pilgrims, as exiles in this world. On Wednesday, I found myself holding back tears. And the Lord pestered me. Look at Habakkuk. Turn to the Old Testament. Turn to a prophet in the Old Testament. Look to 
those who have gone before in the midst of uncertainty. So yes, I'm sort of changing the, the, the passage this morning. I'll touch on it briefly in a little bit, but Habakkuk was a prophet in the 7th century B.C. He was a prophet to the people of Judah, the people of God. And he, he, he was struggling to comprehend God, to comprehend what was happening in the world around him in Judah, in Israel. And he, and he opens the book with these words. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Timely words. Timely words for this week, this year. Habakkuk was watching his own people. And he was witnessing injustice, inequality, inequity, abuses, idolatry. And he says, Lord, when are you going to correct this? When are you going to step in? God answers him. His answer angers Habakkuk. God says, look at the nation's and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you and I can imagine just a spark of hope in that moment in Habakkuk a spark of moment goes yes Lord what are you going to do yes what are you about to do and, and, I, and I saw that this week on, on, on posts and God's going to do something big here here's God's answer I'm raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize the dwellings, not their own. And then God goes on to describe the wrath, the power, the idolatry, the debauchery, the, the, the mockery of the Babylonians. Habakkuk's taken aback. What? What? You're going to use that, those people to, bring, to, 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 to judge us? And my point this morning is this is not about a specific party or anything like that, but the spirit of Babylon, the culture of Babylon. Habakkuk is, is, is taken aback, and this angers him. He's like, what, really, God? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And Habakkuk waits. He listens. He waits to hear from God. And God, in short, answers him. He says, be faithful to me. Follow me. Judgment will come, but be faithful to me. After all, the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The people of God, we all will be silent when Christ is revealed. This is not a verse to go, nah, nah, nah. You're going to get what's coming to you. All the earth will be silent before the king. 
Now, God's plan doesn't make complete sense to Habakkuk, but he ends with a prayer that I think is so applicable to us. His prayer is about faithfulness, about continuing to follow him. See, Habakkuk knows the stories of old. He knows the work of God in history, the things that we sang about. And he prays that they might be repeated, but that when God does bring judgment, he remembers mercy as well. And that moment when he prays that prayer that God would remember mercy is a prophecy forward to Christ. All of God's judgment falling on Christ and you and I finding mercy. Again, Habakkuk doesn't fully understand. He doesn't fully grasp the why or the when of God's work. Yet he rests in the promise of God to care for the souls of his people. As Christ said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. He rests in the promise that God has you. He understands the call to follow. And that same call echoes to us today. Listen to how he ends his prayer in these words. Listen to the emotion dripping poetically from these words. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though fig tree does not bud and there is no grape on the vine, though olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, though there is nothing, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. People of God, this is what it means to follow. This is what it means to follow our God. To follow in times of certainty, to follow in times of uncertainty, to follow in times of plenty and want, whether we fully understand or not, to follow. As I was writing this this week and was listening to worship music in the background and the song In Christ Alone came on, and we're probably all familiar with that song, In Christ Alone. And it's one of my favorite songs, but recently somebody added a, a tag onto the bottom. And, you know, they do this sometimes with hymns. You know, they do a hymn, and they'll add a little tag at the end and go, see, I did something. But the, the, the tag at the end of In Christ Alone, I, I absolutely love. Those extra bit of words are an anthem for the followers of Christ. I find it comforting and encouraging and strengthening as it echoes Habakkuk's prayer. The words are, I find my strength in Christ alone. I find my hope in Christ alone. I find my help in Christ alone. When fear assails, when darkness falls, I find my peace in Christ alone. And the response is to follow. I give my life. I give my all. I sing my song to Christ alone. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, all heaven sings to Christ alone. Amen? Do you see and realize that any strength, any hope, any help, any peace cannot or will not fully come from anyone or anything in this world? My heart breaks when we lose sight of that. 
My heart breaks when we lose sight of who our king is and give our lives over in idolatry to any other thing, be it person, institution, pleasure, entertainment, work, whatever it is. Following Christ is the only place that will sustain when the fear assails our hearts and minds. Following Christ is the only place that will sustain when darkness falls. You will never experience the deep peace you were created to experience, the deep peace that you deep down long for until you turn your life to Christ and you follow him. Now I did, as I said, end up rewriting a lot of this sermon because I couldn't get the words of Habakkuk out of my head and heart. I felt like the Lord again was just going, Tim, remember, remember what I told the saints of old. But I do briefly want to touch on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, because it flows into the beauty of how we follow, why we follow, and what following looks like. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it's the long story short, shorter. It begins with the reality of our state. And it admits that this state is not a passive thing that has happened to us. We have played a part in this. Then there's some of the most beautiful verses to follow in Scripture. But God, being so rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul ends with the fact that we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship to then live into that, to in fact follow. But hear me clearly, we don't follow to find Christ. Christ finds us and we follow. And so in this series, these two words, we follow, can be applied in so many different ways. Yet in light of the, the pestering nudges of the Lord, I apply them in the tone and the words of Habakkuk. We follow patiently, we follow expectantly, and we follow joyfully. But there is the question of how do we follow? Why, why do we follow? How now do we follow? How now, brown cow? Terrible Dr. Seuss reference. Why can we even say these two words that we follow? After all, the other words that we've said in this series, the we statements we've said in the series up to now, do not speak too highly of us. Remember, God made, what did we do? We broke. We broke what God made. This isn't meant to speak about our state of being. It's a verb, an action on our part. Consistently throughout this whole story, we've said we're dead in our sins. But we are dead because Adam and Eve and their sin, their, their, their choice to choose what is right in their own eyes and our own choice to do the same thing to choose active rebellion, idolatry, to God the creator. We broke what God made. How does he respond? God chose. God frees. God shepherded. Shepherds. And yet, what's the we statement? We strayed. We go looking for answers that we want to hear. We go looking for other places to find some small fulfillment that never could. 
In all of these acts, God, God is not, uh, it's, it's, it's not like he's, he's doing multiple tries to get our attention. I'm going to try again. No, I'm going to try again. No, I'm going to try again. No. That's not the point. This is all part of his great plan to just to, to show us how rebellious we are. How our hearts and our minds are so inclined to choose what is right for us. And even better, part of his great plan then is to step into history. To remedy our dead, rebellious hearts. Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus rose. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And whether you've been a follower of Christ for a week or for your whole life, that story needs to be told to ourselves day in and day out because we lose sight of it so often. And this is amazing news. You don't have to pretty yourself up. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to do more good in your life than the bad because none of that works anyway. You simply put your trust in Jesus. You say, Jesus, you died so I could have life. I place my trust in you. And yet, hear the cost of that grace. That's the scandal of grace. You don't, you don't have to fix yourself up to, to be saved. That's the scandal. But the cost of this new life is the divine Savior. God the Son gave his life for you. That's what we sang earlier. For God so loved the world that he what? I'm not the one that always does the call and response, right? Sometimes that's Doug or, you know, uh, whoa, Tim's changing it up a little bit here. He sent his son so that we could have eternal life. And so now out of that costly grace, if we claim that, we then have to follow. To live in a way that is God's way. And know that he empowers you by Jesus rising again and sending his spirit. See, the why we follow, the, the, the how we follow is because he came, because he died. We follow because he rose. And how do we follow? I think Habakkuk again points us into a good posture. We follow patiently. God is on his throne. And your time and my time is not his time. And we follow expectantly. God is doing amazing work. And we follow expectantly looking forward to the day when all will fall silent before the revealing of Christ. Whether in my lifetime or not, he will be revealed. And we follow joyfully. We can find joy in the midst of the tension, in the midst of the strife, in the toil, in the sorrow, because of the sovereign strength of God. My call today is for you to follow, to get to know Habakkuk, to get to know those who have weathered storms. And every day, remember whose you are and who you are. And if I could, in closing, take the long story short, shorter shorter. I want to take a moment and 
call anyone listening, anyone here, who might not yet call yourself a follower of Christ and speak to you in eight verses. But as well as for the followers of Christ, to equip you with a tool to share the gospel with others. Because this is the stage in the story where the, the call comes. The, the, the story goes and goes and goes. And then here we come to the moment where, what are you going to do with the fact that Jesus came, died, and rose? And through eight verses, we're told the problem, the solution, and the hope. You might be familiar with what's called the Romans Road. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And understand, this is not a comparison between you and the people sitting next to you. This is not a comparison between you and any other human. This is a comparison between you and your creator. In 3.23 it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the comparison. All have fallen short of what God commands. His glory, His holiness, His righteousness, His perfection. And our sin has caused us to miss that mark. But even more, our sin has earned us death. The wages of sin is death. The paycheck of sin is death. Physical and spiritual. Separation from God. But this is the beautiful turning point. It's not always easy to hear the words, there is no one good. It's a lot easier to go, yeah, they're not good, but eh, I'm all right. You're not. The rest of 623, though, says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift that he wants to give you is eternal life. Life. Romans 5.8 puts it this way. But God demonstrated his love for us in this way. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the moment I would say, are you going to put, put your tr trust in him? Are you going to put your faith in him? This is the moment to respond. Once we grasp this, once we grasp the weight of sin... And the solution, the need of a Savior, you can call out to him. That's it. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. And hear me, this response is possible for all who are listening today. God is able to save anyone, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how bad you think your past is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Two more verses. The result of being saved is beautiful. It's peace with God. Peace with God. Not necessarily peace in this world, but peace with the one that matters. And there's no condemnation. For those who are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. All of your judgment, all of that was put on Christ at the cross, and he extends his mercy. So if today, wherever you hear these words, if you do this, place your trust in him.
your belief in Jesus, you're saved. And I would encourage you, join us as we follow him. Join us as we follow him patiently, expectantly, and joyfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not deserve your love. We do not deserve your grace and your mercy, but because of your great love, you would save. Father, I pray that your spirit would do its work calling out of darkness into your marvelous light those that have not placed their trust in you, those that have not placed their faith in you. I pray, Lord, we as your followers would be reaffirmed in that, remembering how amazing our God is. And that no matter what happens in the world, our strength is in you. So, Lord, I pray that you would be our vision. We would set our minds upon you, our eyes upon you, our hope upon you, everything upon you. And, Lord, I do pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But until that day comes, again, may our sights be set on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.